Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. Okay, our scripture reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Joseph loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection that we can celebrate today. Thank you that across the world, people are remembering your death and your coming to life again, and the great power that that brings into our lives. Father, I pray that you would be with Joel today and give him your words to teach us and that we would put them in our hearts and go away and live them out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much, Maggie, for reading this morning. Because uh, most people these days carry uh, cell phones with them, smartphones, into all sorts of public gatherings, uh, workplace meetings, uh, even schools, 
I think that uh, as a community, we've become adept at uh, putting our phones on silent or somehow muting the ringer so that it doesn't go off uh, in the middle of the meeting. It's just a community practice. So back in the day, there used to be signs up. You'd have to like announce it at the start, hey. But they're so ubiquitous now that uh, the practice of doing that, turning off your phones, is just something we all do. Some of you are thinking, wait, have I silenced my phone? And that's okay. You can check. The, yet, there are still times where those disruptions occur. Surely you can think of a time where you've been in a meeting uh, or an event. And uh, as things are moving along, someone's phone starts going off. You start to get the glances around. Uh, you see somebody dive into their pocket or purse, uh, trying to silence it so that it ceases to distract. David Haidu uh, wrote a piece in the Atlantic Monthly uh, some years back where he had the surprise chance uh, to witness one of the greatest jazz musicians in, of our era, Wynton Marsalis. He went to a jazz club on a random night during a slow week, not really expecting to see anyone great. And uh, as he was following along, he thought, is that Wynton Marsalis playing trumpet? And yes, it was. He had the surprise opportunity to participate in greatness. And as the set continued to unfold, they gave Wynton a trumpet solo. He began to play a ballad entitled, I Don't Stand a Ghost of a Chance with You. The crowd was captivated. Marcellus, with his musical genius, hitting all of the right notes, begins to bring the song to its culmination. And Haidu, in his article, describes it this way. It was a wrenching act of creative expression. Marcellus played the final phrase, the title statement, in declarative tones. The room was silent. Everybody captivated. At the most dramatic point, guess what happens? Haidu at that point writes down in front of him, magic ruined. The person dives for their cell phone, then they quickly get up and sprint out of the room. This causes everyone to kind of awkwardly laugh, giggle, they get distracted. People start reaching for their drinks. Here, greatness had reached this climactic moment, and he was getting to participate, only for it to be interrupted. And as he put it, magic ruined. The story of Scripture, if I can break it down for you, is that God has created a good world but with the introduction of sin, it is like the annoying electronic ringtones that go off and interrupt, break in, disrupt, destroy the moments. And throughout the story, there's this open question of people forgetting or willfully leaving their cell phones on, in a sense, and creating spiritual disruption in the lives of communities over and over and over again. That no matter how the cultural practices of a given community shift, 
No matter when or where the cultural moment takes place, the reality of sin once entered in stays. And yet, God has committed himself to do business with the ruined spiritual reality of those moments. And that, that creates hope for us. That uh, creates uh, an expectation when we gather to hear about the good news of what God is doing that just maybe, just maybe, God has entered in to do business. To do business with the ways in which we struggle with this reality of sin. To do business with illness and suffering. To do business with injustice and evil. To do business with all of the ways in the world that seem off or wrong or evil, whether small that we know in our individual lives or great, the ways in which we read about them. How is this ever going to be dealt with? And in John's gospel, he's saying that there is a moment in a garden some thousands of years ago where God has made good on his promise to deal with it. That's what the resurrection claims. That's what the resurrection means for us as Christians. That's what the resurrection invites you this morning to consider. That God, in both all of the small and large ways in which you struggle and fight against the realities of our world, that God is making good on his promises to redeem you and the world that he's created through Jesus. And this morning, we are going to consider John's gospel unpacking of this cosmic reality in two points, where the resurrection finds us and where the resurrection takes us. So first, it's the first day of the week in verse 1 in chapter 20. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to follow along as I refer to these things. And just know that if we have time, there will be a Q&A later to continue to actively engage this text. So in verse 1, it's the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene had come to the tomb early. She is fulfilling the morning duties, morning with an O-U, uh, the sadness and grief and reality of Jesus' death has pushed in on her. And yet, as a faithful Jewish woman, she has gone to the gravesite to show care for the Messiah, the chosen one, the Savior, that she thought was dead. And so while it was still dark, and this is a motif throughout the whole Gospel of John, it's a bit of a metaphor here, it's literal, but probably both, that in the dark, Mary goes to look for Jesus to fulfill her duties. And when she arrives, she sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. It's like pouring salt into a wound or like hand sanitizer on a paper cut to her. She's already in mourning, and she shows up, and her first thought is, somebody's come and they've done bad business at this tomb. Like someone's come and done something wrong. And so she goes to get two of the other disciples, Simon Peter, and he's not named, but it's John. So 
Mary runs off to go get Simon and John, and they come seeking to figure out what's going on here, what happens. And so they sprint ahead, and they all show up, and they go in, and they examine for themselves. There's, there's almost this emphasis that uh, the stone is rolled away is an invitation to go in. It's not merely for Jesus to come out of the tomb as part of the resurrection, but it's to invite in those who want to investigate. And so the resurrection finds us here in the text in different spots. It finds Mary in a season of mourning. It finds Simon and Peter in a season of seeking. And uh, later, we didn't include it in the reading this morning for the sake of time, but it finds Thomas in a season of doubt. The resurrection and the news of the resurrection is unpacked in the Gospels in a way that finds us wherever we may be spiritually on a spectrum of sadness and grief, maybe borderline despair, struggling to figure out, like, is there hope? The resurrection, it finds us there. Or maybe we're in a more curious mood. We're trying to seek and ask questions. We're trying to unpack and figure out just where it is our lives are headed. The resurrection, it meets us there. Or maybe, you know, we've kind of heard the stories. Eh, those are pretty bold claims. You know, big if true that somebody was really raised from the dead. We find ourselves doubting or a bit more skeptical. The resurrection meets us there. Mourning, not mourning, not seeking, not doubting. None of these things disqualify us from the invitation to consider the power of God in the resurrection. Here today, the resurrection continues to meet us in those spots. It meets those who need hope and know it, and it meets those who need hope and don't know it. Let me tell you what I mean. There are those of you this morning who you woke up, and uh, you don't need to think very hard about whether you need hope today. Uh, life and its circumstances, in your relational struggles, in your financial situation, in how your family or workplace or organizations are doing, you know, man, it's hard. And you're looking for hope. So if someone's saying, hey, I know where hope can be found, uh, you're looking for it. Let me explore that. The resurrection meets you there and lets you know that you're not disqualified. You're invited. The resurrection, though, also meets those who need hope but don't know it. That may be you this morning if you are doing reasonably well. Like, you know there's some turbulence out there, uh, among other things. But uh, on a number of objective measures, you feel like you're doing pretty well in life. Uh, you feel like if you categorized uh, the typical uh, American story or narrative pathway to happiness, uh, get into a good school, get a good job, do well, uh, all should be well, that by those measures, you should be satisfied, you should be joyful, you should have a sense of meaning and fulfillment, and you don't. And so you're wrestling to figure out, like, what is it? Do I need to do more? Why is that there? The Christian answer to you is that you need resurrection hope, but you just don't know it. 
that you've followed this narrative pathway, you haven't asked much questions or many questions, you haven't reflected much on it, but the good news for you this morning is that the gospel meets you there as well. Resurrection hope can find you, even if you don't know that you need it. That's what makes Easter worth celebrating, because the resurrection finds those who need hope and know it, those who are struggling, and it invites those who need hope and don't know it. It invites all of us to participate in what God is doing in new creation. And new creation, that's where resurrection takes us. So if resurrection can find us in different spots, needing hope and knowing it, needing hope and not knowing it, resurrection doesn't just leave us there. And you see this unfold in the text because after going in and examining the evidence for themselves, Peter and John and Mary, they move forward. But Mary, in verse 11, we're told, stays weeping outside the tomb. And in verse 12, she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. And she's still struggling with, where is Jesus? That's what she wants to know. And two angels show up to her. And as uh, one New Testament scholar put it, uh, angels aren't merely messengers. They're not just there to kind of deliver something. But they're an indication, a signal for us that God is actively at work. That something divine is happening here. And as she goes to find him, she runs into who she thinks is the gardener. F.F. Bruce put it this way, instead of the dead body she had hoped to recover, she found herself face to face with her living Lord. She went there in search of a cadaver, and she ran into a conqueror. She went there looking for Jesus who was dead and buried in the grave. And she runs into Jesus who is resurrected alive, well, and the first fruits of new creation. And he personally calls out her name. That seems to be the flip in the text. That she's confused, she's just wondering, confuses Jesus for the gardener. I'm sure that would be a Netflix genre that they should come up with. Those of you who are looking for someone and uh, find, think you mistake someone for someone totally different and random. She thinks Jesus is the gardener, but he calls out to her in verse 16 and says, Mary, and she turns around and knows. There's this personal connection to how the resurrection finds us. One of the claims of Christianity that's fantastic, that means something to you this morning, is that the God who created the world who knows all things. We sung about this earlier. God, great God. The God who uh, has within his power all that he desires to do, he can accomplish. There's nothing that can obstruct him. Yet he still personally engages our lives. That you can personally turn to him and he knows who you personally are. That's amazing. That's this picture of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, the first fruits of the new creation, calling out to Mary, who mistakes him for a gardener. And in effect, the angels, together with Jesus, they're telling her, Mary, it's time to move from mourning to mission. 
that the resurrection has met you in the midst of your sadness, but the resurrection is going to take you toward full salvation. So when he calls out to her, Jesus says in verse 17, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and your Father, to my God and your God. This covenantal language. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he has said these things to her. So in 17 and 18, we move through this week of Palm Sunday to Jesus' crucifixion and all the sadness and confusion and doubt that it introduces people into. And yet with the resurrection, there is this declaration that God has made good on his work. In the resurrection, we get the sense that we don't have to come back year over year with no hope. But the resurrection meets us and takes us into what God is doing. The New Testament scholar and churchman N.T. Wright, in his work called The Resurrection and the Son of God, has this great quote. The point of the resurrection is not simply that the creator God has done something remarkable for one solitary individual. The resurrection starts about with Jesus, and it is about Jesus, but it doesn't just stop with Jesus. It's not merely a story about him. That's what Wright's saying. It's not just about what happened in that garden. It has import and impact into our lives. That's what makes it worth celebrating. That's what makes it worth getting joyful over. But that in and through the resurrection, the present evil age has been invaded by the age to come. An event has occurred as a result of which the world is a different place. The cosmic impact of the resurrection and human beings have the new possibility to become a different kind of people. This is the important piece for you and I to remember as we come into contact. It's not just the claims about what happened to Jesus supernaturally and being raised from the dead. It's not just the claims about what that means for our world. It's the claim about how his resurrection vindicates God's good work, but calls us to respond in kind. Here's what that can look like. If you live life often searching for the approval of others, if you were to pause and to consider, what is it that I'm looking for? Is it just that people like me? That the people who are in authority over me, they say, good job. Is that what I spend all of my waking hours searching for? If so, then the resurrection is good news for you. Because you can look back and see that the new possibility for life that you have is that Jesus' resurrection means you are approved by the Almighty God. There's no one in greater authority than him. And in the resurrection of Jesus, he says, good job. Well done. Approved. Righteous. Good standing. So if you spend your life seeking for the approval of others, you can root the change of that in the resurrection power. Maybe for you it's not that. Maybe it's anger. That's what you wrestle with. 
How do I keep my anger under control so people think I'm normal and they don't know how much rage goes from side to side inside my head and heart in any given day? Maybe that's your struggle. If so, good news. There is no YouTube video or quick read that is going to ever fix that for you. But the resurrection power meets you in the midst of your anger and says, if you're moved by something that you think is an injustice and you feel powerless to do anything with it, and so it creates this anger that at times just surfaces up like bubbles coming up and just goes everywhere, the good news is that the resurrection meets you there with God's promise that he is going to do business with all injustice, that it's not lost on him, that he will bring the world to rights. Finally, if you're anxious about various outcomes in life, whether school or work or family or relationships or other stuff, you live with this low level, uh, fluctuates, but constant anxiety. The resurrection is good news for you because it not only meets you in that spot of anxiety or anxious moment, but it, just like Mary, meets you there and gently turns your shoulders and points you to the broader picture of life. It shows you to God's commitment, the level at which he is all in in making good on his promises and that we have hope for the new heavens and new earth. That that's the peace, the level of certainty that Christians enjoy. After the cell phone went off, the do-do-do-do-do-do-do, went and Marsalis for a while just stood at the microphone, kind of eyebrows raised, silent. Where do you go from here? I was at this climactic moment, and this guy <laughs> breaks in with his cell phone. Haidu continues his story. Marsalis, after this period of silence, just standing there, takes his trumpet, and almost verbatim begins to play the same ringtone that interrupted things. He begins to play it with his trumpet. And not only does he take that cell phone melody note by note, this is what happened. He takes the cell phone melody note by note. He begins uh, to build on it. He begins to repeat it and then improvise off of it. Not only does he hear the interruption, not only does he do business with the interruption note by note, but he begins to improvise off the interruption and begins to go all sorts of creative places because that's what musical genius can do. And as he goes through for a number of minutes various improvisations, he brings them to a close and begins to slow down to almost ballot level tempo. And guess what he does? He picks back up in the moment of interruption from I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you and plays the last few notes. It brings the house down. Haidu's amazing story of Marcellus's genius is a bit like what is happening in the resurrection on a cosmic and spiritual level. 
Sin has interrupted things and messed things up so much that it's hard to even imagine what to do with it. We often just kind of stand in silence or we distract ourselves with our drink or we just kind of move on. But God picks up those notes. Jesus, in his death, takes on each and every note of sin upon himself. And in his resurrection begins God's improvisation to finish his work of redemption. That's what is so amazing about Easter. That's what makes it worth celebrating. Because we see God at work, not only in his gospel, but in our lives. It becomes an invitation for you and I in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of our anger, in the midst of our struggles, to participate in Jesus' song of redemption, to participate in the finished work of God. For us, not that it makes everything all right and easy, it doesn't, but here's what it does. It By the power of God's Spirit, it opens our eyes and opens avenues to begin to navigate intractable problems with resurrection power. That's what it means, and that's what you're invited into. So that in the ups and downs of life, in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the struggles, it's not that it takes it away, but it reframes for us just what God is doing in his redemption song. So that we can call and respond to one another. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us. I know that this Easter morning we come with different struggles and in different places in life. And yet, we trust, we know that because you've been resurrected, Jesus, that you meet us there. And that you move us forward. I pray that for each of us individually, but as a community as well. Not just this Easter morning, but in the mornings ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.